This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Sunday Showcase, highlighting some of the best audio storytelling found anywhere. All right here on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Arr, matey! Welcome back to Mutual Presents, Episode 5.4. I'm Jack Ward right here with my co-captain for your passage to yesteryear, Penny the Cat. This week we're back to the Voyage of the Scarlet Queen with another double feature of Adventure with King Ascot and the Maid-in-Waiting and Grafter's Fort and Lonely Sultan of Isabella de Basilan. So everybody wind back those clocks as we start the show. Master. Position 4 degrees 5 minutes north, 126 degrees 45 minutes east. Wind brisk, skies fair. Remarks departed island of Karakalong on schedule after being boarded by armed pirates. Reason for trouble? King Ascot and the maid in waiting. noon during the best of tropic to offer in fresh, sun-drenched mornings that we raised the peaked outline of Karakalong to our starboard and stood in toward Bio Bay. The ripples danced and glimmered in the light. And in two more hours of the spanking breeze, we picked up the creamy surf roaring in over the coral that fenced the bay. My chief mate Gallagher went forward with the heaving lead as I pointed the bow toward the swirling passage through the reef. His soundings came rolling back. Four fathoms of depth. We closed on the opening. But shallowing to less as the swell beneath us humped and got ready to break. Three and a half fathoms. The roar of water crashing on coral filled our ears. The sharp teeth of coral filled our minds. The heaving rollers from across the cell of these sea tilt and broke our foot and started. We felt the current grab, reacting with the wheel. The coral teeth slid by on either side. More than 17 fathoms of crystal quiet water beneath us, and I took time to look up for my work. 
The island in front of us was like a backdrop for a technicolor version of the more idyllic scenes in Mutiny on the Bounty. A mountain slope down which flowed a glacier of multicolored foliage. Palms, tree ferns, cassiorinas, all of it laced and interlaced by rattan and flowering vines. It ended at a sugar-white beach, washed by blue-green water. And as we watched, the final touch entered the picture. Not one, but two. Blonde and brunette, dressed in flower-patterned cloth, walked out onto the sand and waved as we worked into anchorage. So Mutual continues The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tallman, and starring Elliot Lewis. The Scarlet Queen, proudest ship to plow the seas, bound for uncharted adventure. Every week, a complete entry in the log. And every week, a league further in the strange voyage of the Scarlet Queen. After our hook was secured at the bottom, Gallagher and I were stepping from our dinghy to meet the welcoming committee. The lighter one was short and bursting with herself, the darker, tall, and well-contained. She sounded like tea time in Barclay Square. Hello there. Good to have you drop in on us. thanks. We didn't expect to find you here. The charts call the island undeveloped and populated by a somewhat shy group of natives. And so it remains, except our plantation. Uh-huh. I'm Mrs. Briley, and this is Mrs. Ascoff. Bill Carney, how do you do? How do you do? Well, this is Mr. Gallagher, my sister. Uh, I didn't know you. It's quite a surprise. How do you do, Mr. Gallagher? And now, I do hope that both of you will join us at the cottage. I dare say our husbands are even more anxious to meet you than Jane and I were. Here's the path over here. They stepped out in front of Red and me and led us up the path to a riot of vegetation, primitive, almost stifling with flower scents, bright with colors. Noisy with shrill land birds. Off to the right, we could see straight rows of young and neatly cultivated palm trees. To our front, the rise of the mountain loomed abruptly. And from a point 30 or 40 feet up, a small stream flashed from the massive growth, curved into space, and fell, hissing and bubbling into a deep, wide pool. Next to this pool was the bungalow, shaded and cooled by ocean breeze. The husbands were introduced to us on the veranda. Briarly, well-built, graying slightly. I bid you a hearty welcome, gentlemen. Well, thanks a lot. Ascot was younger, slim, and fair. Have you had a long voyage, Captain? Oh, not this particular leg, no. We're just up from Harmahara. Oh, beastly island. Well, short before now, you'll enjoy stretching your legs on Caracalong. Uh, Doris, would you mind showing Captain Carney about a bit? Of course not, my dear. And Mr. Gallagher will go with Jane when you return the captain to us. Very well. Strange is a rare drug, Captain. I hope you'll understand. Shall we go? She led me through the park-like grove, the clearings where they dried their copra, the warehouses stacked with it. She showed me piles of oyster shells, half dozen more examples of good commercial products they collected from the island. Then we stopped on a high point overlooking the Scarlet Queen, resting in the blue-green bay below. Now. 
Do you blame us for being proud of our island? No, I think you've done a great job, Mrs. Riley. Uh, we've been very fortunate. It's just character, you know. But my husband's associates formed the Celebes Development Company, and we came here to close of the war. You certainly seem to have everything. Yes, everything but the worry and turmoil of competitive life. And judging from what news we last heard and the condition of the world, I feel quite fortunate to be separated from it. Seems quite a fate, isn't it, Captain? Well, it's not as trouble-free as your island. There was talk even in MacArthur of a battle over short or long hemlines. <laughs> hemlines, really? Wouldn't you say this for that kind of nonsense? No, I wouldn't, Mrs. Barley. I'm afraid I like competition and the rest of it. Tell me, don't you ever get lonesome? Lonely, you mean? Why should I? Fine husband, good company, the time to enjoy both. Why should any of us want more than we have? By the time three days had passed, Red and I were almost ready to agree with her. Our sailing orders were to wait in the bay until one of Kang's luggers arrived. This kind of relaxation was made to order for us after the last few weeks of short trips and troubled sports. We soaked up sunshine and rest. And every night when we returned to the Queen, we agreed that the Briarleys and the Ashcut were the most gracious hosts we'd met in Singapore. We called it paradise at least once a day. I was a little disappointed when the first thin wrapping fell off. I was alone in my cabin when Mr. Kingsley Ascot paid me a visit. He browsed through some English-language newspapers and suddenly came to the point. Connie, I hope you won't think me blunt. Your arrival here was the most unfortunate thing that could have happened. I think you're being plenty blunt, King. What are you driving at? You and your shipper, the first link we've had with the outside world for over ten months. What are you going to say? I don't know. But we can stay aboard ship from now on, if that'll help. We didn't push ourselves into your company, you know. Oh, no, 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 it isn't that. Where are you going from here? I don't know. Why? Connie, would, would it be possible to arrange passage to some port, any port with regular steamer connections? What? You've been as proud of your paradise as the rest, King. What goes? I'm sorry. Look, I'm sailing under charter orders, and I can't take any passengers. Well, I had to ask you. Not a chance. Not even a slim one, King. I'm sorry. I see. Carly. Carly, be sure that you don't by word or look indicate to Jane or the Briarlies. Uh, I talk to you this way. Your promise, Connie? Yeah, sure, King. I like you all too well to mess things up. I just hope you can settle down again. Huh. Yes, I suppose I can. I've been settled for a good many months. Well, thanks anyway, Connie. I'll meet you in the morning. Thought we might fish a bit from the reef at ebb tide. Sounds great. I'll be in early. <laughs> Ascot didn't mention his visit all the next day. Once again, the island was an unmarred paradise. But that night brought another evasive visitor to my cabin on the Scarlet Queen. The next one to browse through the newspapers and then look up suddenly was Edward Briarley. Right, Joe, Connie. I'm so glad you dropped in on us. It's really been a lark having you. But I say, I believe in being outspoken. Has Ascot approached you regarding passage from here? 
It would have been a waste of time if he had, Brownlee. I can't take any passengers. Well, I'm afraid that's a pity. Oh, don't misunderstand me. There's a cat, right, and lurk, smacking company, but this type of life is hard on some. I've been about on this estate and that, FMS, North Borneo, and the like, and I know the signs. Poor Ascus at the end of his tether. He needs a change. And I had hoped that you might supply him with the transportation. Yeah, well, it's out of the question, Riley. I can't say no pity. Coven Devil holding it in the way he is. But, Connie, I must be sure of one thing. Hmm? Say nothing to anyone about my visit. Job, if he knew I was aware of his state, his model would shatter. And that the rest soon will do likewise. You agree to silence? Yeah, sure, Brown. I won't say a word to anybody. Splendid. Uh, come in for an early swim in the morning, Connie. Uh, we'll, we'll have breakfast. I saw him to his canoe, went back to my cabin. But less than 15 minutes had passed before another visitor climbed the ladder over the side and joined me. Captain Connie, I hope you won't think it entirely unforgivable. My being here, I mean. Not at all, Mrs. Brown. Thank you. I I was so distressed. My husband was here. What did he want, Captain? Why, nothing. Did he want you to leave? He didn't say so. I couldn't bear it if you did. Please, Captain, don't leave without me. I'll die if you do. What are you handing me, Mrs. Brown? I'm begging you. Why me? Because I'm a woman and you're a man. And I need your help desperately. He's toying with me now. I can feel the change in him. There's no limit to his cruelty. I beg of you, Captain, give me my one time. Take me away from here. I think you'd better go ashore now, Mrs. Riley. I've never found much profit in taking misunderstood wives away from husbands. I'll do anything, Phil. Anything. I don't want anything. I just want you to go ashore. Now, come on, I'll help you out. <laughs> At least she didn't have a cheery invitation for the following morning. I hit the sack with a bad taste in my mouth and my stock in paradise dropping by degrees. Jane Ascot's pitch was at least different because she chose daylight in the section of beach for the setting. And it was refreshing because she wore two dark red blossoms in her blonde hair. And the rest of her did nice things to with the wrong type swimsuit because her approach was straightforward. I've been watching your ship at night, Phil. You've had a lot of visitors. Oh, I have? Do you want to talk about them? Not especially. Except that for a paradise, nobody wastes much time trusting anybody else. What's paradise to you, Phil? Money, beautiful women, things like that? Well, brief periods of that type of I Why? Listening to me could mean lots of money for those brief periods. Is that an offer? I understand that the men who sail ships from place to place in this part of the world are susceptible to offers. Is that right? Oh, I've heard. Are you? I like your approach. Show me a man that wouldn't be susceptible to offers from you. <laughs> well, you're very nice to make them to. Thank you. But I'm not in the spot to accept. That's very foolish. Why? Because you're throwing away a thousand pounds sterling? And because I'm so angry with you, I might even let some of these insane people kill you. No. No, we have threats in paradise. Paradise. I'll tell you just how idyllic our paradise is. Did you know that my husband and Doris Briarly are in love? You're really broken up about it, aren't you? They've been meeting under the tropic moon almost every night for months. Stupid fool. 
Well, I know. Of course. You'll have to admit all of us have put on a great act. Riley and I have given them complete freedom. And the idiots don't even realize we have given it to them. Sounds like a pleasant way to live. It's rotten. But we've had a reason. They want to go away together. And we want them to go. So you and Briarly can play games? Oh, not for any emotional reasons, Phil. When they disappear, as far as the world is concerned, every shilling of the Celebes Development Company's funds would disappear too. Some 10,000 pounds by now. Which you and Briarly could then pocket, huh? Now your stupid refusal to take passages has ruined our scheme. Well, I'm sorry I'm spoiling the deal. Such a pretty one. Don't worry, Phil. I'm sure another possibility will present itself. It was after dark by the time I got away from her. I rode back to the ship and put a couple of stiff drinks. Red was in his cabin asleep and he mumbled impolitely at me when I tried to prod him into conversation. So I went out on the after deck and sat there alone, trying to clean out my system with night air, smoke. What I had in mind slipped away when they stepped onto the deck and into the glow of our riding light. I noticed the strained expressions on their faces and the small caliber revolvers in each of their right hands. Stand right there, darling. You don't hesitate for a second if you attempt anything. Hold on, King. What is all this, King? Things can't go on like this, Connie. Will you listen to reason if it'll save our lives? I don't care much about saving your life. Save your own. I mean it, Connie. We're both desperate, and your life means little to us. Doris and I are in love. We have been for months. Congratulations. Oh, I know it doesn't sound as it should, but it's true, nevertheless. We didn't mean to. Couldn't help it. Tonight, Briarly learned that he threatened to kill us both if we didn't leave the island by tomorrow, and he's a man who lives up to his threats, Connie. Your ship is the only possible way we can leave. I'm afraid it isn't. Well, you don't mean that. I tell you, Connie, your life is at stake. I swear I'll shoot you if you don't order this ship underway at once. Use your head, King. Has this paradise really wrung your brain out? Where would you be if you did shoot? You're in no worse position than I am now. I know that I've done everything in my power to save Goddess and myself. Connie, order this ship underway. I can't. You've got a few hundred square miles of island. Go find yourself a hut someplace and hide in it. That wouldn't work. Your only hope, Phil. You've got to take us. But my whole voyage is at stake. That's as important to me as you are to Ascot. I warn you, Connie. Look, if you've got the itch to be the big warrior for her, don't shoot Briarly. Once more, Connie. All right, but you better do it right, Ascot. I'm telling you, if you don't do it with the first one, I'm going to shove that toy down your throat before you can pull the trigger again. I can't believe that you'd... <laughs> Doris. Doris. Doris crumpled to the deck, raised her head loosely as King ran to kneel beside her. I saw her push her shoulders rigidly against his hands as she died. Then I learned where the shot had come from. Move out of the way, Phil. Hurry or I won't wait. I started toward them, but I slipped back against the cabin. King Ascot was still holding the sagging body when Jane fired again. He stiffened once and relaxed as the second slug took him. Then he rolled over on his side quietly. 
Dane's canoe coasted in toward the side. What the devil's going on? Why don't you stay ashore? What happened to them? Keep the crew in the pocket, will you, Red? Go on up, tell them everything's all right. Sure, just as long as we got dead bodies all over the deck, everything's fine. I hope you didn't mind my saving your life, Phil. Yeah, that was very neatly and cold-bloodedly taken care of, wasn't it? Good heavens, there was no time for delicacy. It seemed so insistent about hurting you. Let's not kid each other. Why did you have to use my ship? Why didn't you take care of it ashore where you had more room? Why, so? That would have been murder. It would, huh? What do you call that? Rescue. I suppose, in a sense, it was the attempted piracy that I rescued you from, wasn't it? They were attempting to assume command of a vessel by use of arms or something like that. Oh? Rescue is a much nicer word than murder, don't you think? Oh, it has been. Up until now. Oh, oh my arm, you're hurting me. I'm done, I listen better without a gun in my face. Your quaint ideas about what is or isn't murder, it looks better in the scalp for you. All right, now make sense. So, this wasn't all my idea. While they convinced Doris and King that they could force you to take them away. So that you could come out and rescue me from pirates? But, Phil, for a thousand pounds sterling, I did rescue you. That's what I'm supposed to say? Not for half the cut that you and Briley now have from the Celebes Development Company. Now get off my ship. All right, sir. But come in early in the morning, will you? We'll have breakfast and a swim and lie in the sun all day. After she left, I wondered how she'd explain to Briley my lack of interest in the payoff. Just about the time she should have been facing him with the fact Two evenly separated, well-placed shots echoed out from the island. We never did go ashore again. Just before dawn, a native canoe arrived to take the deceased pirates ashore. We moved out beyond the reef, radioed a full report to the Dutch officials. Later that morning, Tang's lugger arrived with our sailing orders, and we headed out across the Celebes Sea. The reef, the mountain, the memories of Karakalong lay off our stern, and the crew jumped to with a will to rig us for our ride into the future. boomed into its job. The ship ran up. Then the mizzen. And the Scarlet Queen winced under the pull. Settled under the help I gave her from the helm. And then charged forward, splashing the rolling swells with her bow and leaving them turned and flattened in her wake. Aren't you ready for the water anymore? Ah, she'll do, Red. Hey, uh, Skipper, those two shots we heard have still got me. Maybe we should have gone ashore to take a look see. Oh, no. There might have been two more for each of us. Yeah, you can't help but wonder, though. Who do you think got it? I'm pretty much of a toss-up. I think it must have been Briley. Well, how do you figure? Very simple, Rhett. With all her faults, the girl was very fond of me. Uh-huh. Uh, at least she didn't kill you. Yeah, there's that if you must have proof. Besides, she invited me to breakfast. And I'm sure she wouldn't break that day just to die. Why, no. Even I wouldn't do that. Of course, those slugs could have been going the other way. Uh, or even both ways. 
Don't worry about it. Drink, skip it. But it does pique a man's curiosity, Red. I wonder... Oh, well. After you, mate. After you. Entry, the Cat Scarlet Queen, 5.30 p.m. Miles travels from San Francisco, 20,433. Wind brisk, sky overcast. Mainsail reached, ship secure for night. Signed, Philip Carney, Master. as Phil Carney with Ed Max as Gallagher. Music scored and conducted by Richard O'Rourke. The Scarlet Queen, produced by James Burton, is written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tolman. Scarlet Queen, Philip Carney, Master. Position 2 degrees 40 minutes north, 125 degrees 37 minutes east. Wind brisk, sky fair. Remarks, departed Sangi Islands after fulfillment of promise. Reason for promise, Kang's treasure and the ghost of Tangulan. It was three days out of Basilan, following the final sailing orders from my employer, Kuji Kang, that we raised the smoking island of Tangulan. It's a volcanic island, eight miles square and uninhabited, rimmed by coral reef, its active crater grumbling intermittently and spewing out thick, gaseous smoke that hangs continually over the vicinity in a thick cloud. Reminded me of Iwo Jima, the most unpleasant island in my world, with its jumbled heaps of black sand and the complete lack of vegetation. But it was this island that had been drawing us like a magnet over thousands of miles of ocean. It was here that the Scarlet Queen would perform the duty she was originally built to perform. It was here that I'd live up to the agreement I'd signed with Kang over a year ago. I would at last see the historical $10 million treasure lifted out of the scuttled Chinese junk. I'd see it resting finally in the hold of the Scarlet Queen. We stood around the northern tip of the island and saw the last of the sun as it disappeared behind the pall of smoke. The constant evening gloom that it caused added to the feeling of loneliness. That was all right with me because loneliness was just what we needed at this point. The feeling was fine. 
but it didn't last long enough. My crewman, Nielsen, who was on lookout, broke the spell just as we approached the only reef passage marked on our chart. Head up here! What do you got, Nielsen? Get a red pole on the reef on the red side of the passage! Gallagher! Yeah, Pipper, I thought we were going to be alone on this blasted island. How did I take the wheel and hold away from the pass? I'm going forward to have a look. The hull was a lugger, resting at an easy angle on the coral a little better than halfway through the pass. Her masts broken, her rigging tangled. There was no sign of life on her. With binoculars, I could see a rude camp on the beach beyond. There was no sign of life there either. The figures of four men I saw were sprawled on the sand. And if they were alive, I was sure they'd be on their feet watching us as we came in. And so Mutual continues The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tolman, and starring Elliot Lewis. The Scarlet Queen, proudest ship to plow the seas, bound for uncharted adventure. Every week, a complete entry in the log, and every week, a league further in the strange voyage of the Scarlet Queen. and the silent camp on the beach could have meant anything. Tragedy that was coincidence or a setup by Kang's archenemy, Constantino. I left the queen outside the reef with Gallagher in charge. I put our small boat over the side and Nielsen and I rode in through the pass over the quiet water of the lagoon. Stepped out onto the white sand. The volcano rumbled now and then. Huge land crabs scudded away from the bodies as we approached the camp. Told a pretty plain story. Three of the men lay on some black sand that had been scraped into a couch. The fourth lay a few feet away. Beside him was a medical kit. Just beyond his fingertips was a hypodermic syringe and needle. What do you make of it, Captain? Stay back, Nielsen. Whatever they died of wiped out the whole crew, including the doctor. Maybe there's a plague. Looks like it. There was something about this whole island that rubs me the wrong way. I know what you mean. Come on, let's get back to the ship. An hour later, we'd run the passage into the lagoon and crept along the inside edge of the reef for 200 yards through the unmistakable formation of coral that was our last landmark. We dropped the hook. We performed a maneuver that was the culmination of all the other maneuvers on the voyage of the Scarlet Queen. We drifted back, letting out anchor cable, until we reached a spot which, if the chart was correct and no one had beaten us to it, was directly over the hull that guarded Kang's treasure in the lightless, smoke-shadowed water ten fathoms below. But the feeling of elation was completely foreign to the atmosphere of Tangoline. Gallagher and I stood at the rail, feeling the oppressiveness, the uneasiness, as night settled down over us, and the glow from the volcano's crater flickered weirdly on the cloud of smoke above. The atmosphere was bad enough, but Nielsen's hail made it worse. Skipper! Captain Carney! What, Nelson? There was a light on the island, sir. Where? Yeah. There it is, up there. You see it? Yeah. What do you think it is, sir? Oh, there it's gone. Nielsen, go kill all our lights. Roll out the crew. Tell them to drop a double anchor watches tonight. Yes, sir. That's an odd one, Skipper. What do you make of it? I don't know, Red. Could have been molten lava rolling down from the crater. Uh, what are you handing me? I never heard of lava blowing uphill like that light did. All right, then. You name it. 
You find four men dead from the plague on an unpopulated island. So? It must be a ghost. I hope it is, Red. But just in case it isn't, don't break out enough rifles to arm the crew, will you? Gallagher and I split the night so that one of us was on deck all the time with two armed crewmen. The shoreside light appeared a few more times. But when the light of morning forced through the smoke cloud, the island was silent and foreboding. But that's all. We had breakfast and turned two on the most important day's work of the voyage. Hold on, 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 hold Platform's ready for you, Skipper. Go ahead. Bring me that watertight flood lamp, Red. There's no sun getting down there. I'll need light. It's as good as wick, Skipper. We stood at the rail and watched the big lamp sink slowly over the side, throwing a hazy green-tinted circle of light out into the clear water. Went down three fathoms, four fathoms, five fathoms, six. Went down seven fathoms, seven and a half, and I stopped it. Hold it! The circle of light had settled over the outline of the junk. It was leaning about 30 degrees to port. It's after half and part of the main house crushed into a crevice in the coral. It's movable spars and rigging swinging uneasily in the current. It's there, Skipper. The whole blasted thing is there. Sure it's there. Get the suit ready. Cola, get the suit on the platform. Crowd to stand by the winch. We're ready to go to work. In ten minutes, I'd gotten into the suit. The platform had lowered me below the surface. And I was left with no sound but the light bubbling of my escape valve and the faint throb of the air being pumped down to me. There was the first grip in the pit of the stomach that comes with adjusting yourself to a new element. Then the awareness of long shapes that darted into the light from the darkness and left again. Desire to look behind you when you can't. Then the platform reached the level on the sunken deck. Hold it, Red. I stepped onto the sharp slant of the slippery deck. The passageway into the main house that held the treasure was blocked by a shoulder of coral. I made my way along its starboard side to a group of three portholes that let enough light in to show me the interior. I stood for a good minute, lost in the sight of what lay just a few feet away from me lost in the thought of what had led up to this instant and what the four neatly stowed boxes meant in Kang's life, in Gallagher's life, in the crew's lives, and in my life. Skipper! It was the crackle of the intercom circuit in Red's voice that brought me back to the fact that it had to be gotten out of the cabin now that we'd found it. Skipper, what's going on? You aren't moving. Skipper, you all right? Sure, Red. I'm all right. What the devil are you doing? I'm looking at it, Red. It's here. Let's get it started up. It's not as easy as that. The passageway is jammed shut. We can get it out in one load, but we'll have to cut in through the side. Well, you better come up then. We'll get the gear ready. Yeah. And give me plenty of help with my line, Red. This deck doesn't like me. It's spongy with rot. Well, watch your step. Don't let anything happen now. I won't, Red. This is the most cautious few feet I've traveled since the first time I walked it off. I'll bet you were cute, Skipper. That's all they tell me, mate. So they tell me. With the excitement of being on the verge of recovery, I don't think any of us took time to think of the night before or the ghost of Tangolan. 
Or at least no one mentioned it. And when it floated in on us, it was so silent that none of us knew. I'd gotten out of the diving suit and we were grouped on the landed side of the deck putting lines on the wrecking bars and saws and the rest of the cutting gear. And we didn't hear it until he pushed his head up over the side to see it and spoke. Who be you? Hey, it's got to skip Hey, put down the gun. I'll call my volcano down on the lot of you. Who are you? I'm poor Sam Brennan. How'd you get here? I hid behind a coconut log. Drifted down on you with the tide. Who be you? Bill Carney, captain of the ship. Was that you on the mountain with the light? Hey, gonna come aboard, captain. I have a hunger for Christian food. And I have a word for you. Bring him aboard. Keep your eye on him. Two crewmen reached down, took him by each arm, and hauled him aboard. What came up over the rail did justice to the head that topped it. His hair was shaggy and shoulder length, his face matted with wild beard. His body was gaunt, covered by a collection of wet rags that was part cloth, part skin, part seaweed. No makeup man in costume or anywhere could have done as well for the Ben Gunn character out of Treasure Island. We took him to the galley and opened a tin of hash for him. His wild, slightly vacant eyes flashed and he fell to with a will with his right hand. Held out his left for me to see. The nails were raw, heat blackened. What? What be the cause of that, do you reckon? Now, wait a minute. Let's start farther back than that. Where'd you come from? Come from? My island. I've been a copra grower there before my volcano overflowed and burned out my groves and everything else. But I, I've i been alone since then. Then being ten years ago. Ten years alone on that island? Ah, uh, there's company enough there is. The voices at night. And work enough for the fish to catch and caring for my volcano. Yeah, sure. Now about your hands. Uh, what happened to them? Torture. It was hard cruel to poor Sam Brennan. They were. Oh. Eight of them. Come not two days back. Eight? Yeah. Them that run the craft on my reef yonder and laid them poor dead corpses out on the sand. Well, how do you like that? You mean those men didn't die here? Uh, they come as they are. Poor dead corpses. Poor Sam Brennan saw them laid out neat like they are. Then I I stepped into the midst of the living my arm raised to friendship and they all fell upon me, hard cruel. Forced into my fingers heated needles and even the marks that you see there, see? Pretty rough. Why did they do it, Sam? For my wisdom, no less. But I told them little. Only that I saw it sail in and saw no more. They'll get no talk from poor Sam Brennan with cruelty. Saw what sail in, Sam? The the Chinese craft. We're lying over now. There you are, Red. Constantino. How'd they get it, Skipper? How'd they get here before us? How'd they get any place? I'll tell you. I'll tell you that and more. I've been at the side at night, moving here, moving there, covered by the growls of my volcano. They learned of my island from a servant in Bachelin. Sure, sure. We've been nicely suckered. That death camp set up so we wouldn't risk infection to look over the island. They sit there and watch us load the stuff on the queen. Then what, Sam? Do you know? Hey, this is what I know. There's a fast power yacht in the lagoon around the island on the far side of the pass. Inside the reef? Hey, oh, That's great. And the wrecked ship at the reef passage is prepared with dynamite, no less. So that when you start to leave, a touch of the finger will topple it into the passage... And you'll be bottled up here at the mercy of that craft which is armed like a man of war. That I know. That poor Sam Brennan heard himself. Yeah, thanks for the dope, Sam. I take it they have a detonator set up on shore to blow the charge. How many men are with it? Well, there'll be one alone. Rest be on the boat. If I took care of the ones on the boat, could you manage the one ashore? The one? Matched against the knights and my volcano and me? <laughs> oh, we'll manage him. We will. Good. One more thing, Sam. 
Will you go to the wreck with me before you go ashore? Aye, aye. But, but you'll go the way you come. Wait a minute, Skipper. That's putting your head right into it, isn't well, it? Well, what else, Red? Well, That'll be bottled up here like fish in a glass tank. Yeah, we, we ought to be able to cut the wires to that dynamite before they get the idea that it's any more than a curiosity trip. They must have expected well, I that. I hope you're right, Skipper. I'll have to take over the diving, Red. You take it. Work as fast as you can. Cut a six-foot hole into that cabin, then it'll all come out in one load. The gear's all ready. Okay, Skipper, I'll do my best. That'll be good enough, Red. And be careful, huh? <laughs> me? You telling me to be careful. Red was in the suit and on his way down by the time Sam Brennan dropped over the side and I got myself ready and headed toward the wreck in the small boat. I took with me an explosive detonator rigged for dry cell batteries, a couple of small blocks with well-oiled sheaves and enough strong light line to reach across the hundred yards between shore and the wreck. I boarded it before Sam arrived, climbed down into the cabin and started tearing the place to pieces. First ten minutes of searching weren't enjoyable, but they weren't as bad as the next twenty when I dropped into the hold and still hadn't found the charge. By that time, I'd been there too long for my visit to look like one of curiosity to anyone. When I did find it seven sticks strong down in the filthy bilge, my heart was pounding and no one could have convinced me that I didn't rip the wires loose a split second before the man at the detonator had decided to push the plunger home. But when I had them harmless in my hands, even the bilge air smelled as sweet as life itself. And what be your plan, Captain? All you have to do is go ashore, Sam, at the end of this line. I've got the detonator set so that when the power yacht hits the line just as she enters the reef passage, this wreck we're on will blow up right in their faces. You understand? It has a good sound. My ship is on one side of the passage. They'll approach from the other. The only thing I want to be sure of is that you'll leave enough room on my side so that the Scarlet Queen can squeeze through. It's proper vengeance they get from poor Sam Brennan. That's right. All right, Sam. Get going. With the end of the line looped around his tattered waist, he slipped silently into the water with only his head showing behind his log. Started shoreward toward a spot I'd pointed out to him. May have been minutes, but it seemed like hours before he got there. I watched him secure the line to a jutting rock and then disappear. I heaved my line as taut as I could, reaved it through one of the blocks I'd rigged, made it fast to the detonator so that the slightest tug would blow the charge. Then I went back to the queen. Oh, you're back all right, Captain. I was sure glad to see you, sir. Thanks, Nielsen. Where's Mr. Gallagher? Oh, he's still submerged. What's the trouble? Well, nothing now, sir. He was on his way up. The cargo's aboard, but the chief's line fell, and we had trouble getting him out of the cabin of the junk. He was down too long. We didn't want to risk Ben's bringing him up faster than we should. We'll have to speed it up a little, Nielsen. Get on the intercom. Tell him I'm back, and he has to get up as fast as he can. Yes, sir. Caller, stand by the windlass. I'll get the motor started, and we'll inch up on the anchor. We've got a tow cable, sir. Over the hook. Over the hook. Nielsen, where's the diving platform? Hold Fenton down, sir. We'll have to have more speed. Tell Gallagher to hang on. We'll have to weigh anchor before we get him aboard. Anchor's away, sir. And coming up. Anchor's away. Where's the platform, Nielsen? Two and a half fashion, sir. We'll have to forget pressure and everything else and get him aboard. Tell him that. Tell him the power boat expected is in sight about a thousand yards off our bow. It was natural that it should show. We'd used too much time. Time enough for anyone to realize that something was wrong and decide to find out what. Anchor's in sight, sir! Nielsen! Blackburn's in sight, sir! So I stood there with my hand on the throttle, not able to open it, and watched the Constantino boat push its sleek bow around a point of land. She was moving slowly, still only inquisitive, still unable to see what was going on on our decks. Anchor is up, sir! Secure the anchor! He's clear of the bottom, sir! The platform's clear! I waited another 30 precious seconds until Gallagher had been swung inboard. Then I opened the throttle. 
Our wake churned, and as we picked up speed, the Scarlet Queen built a bow wave that curled and gleamed milkily in the gloom. That bow wave was like a starter's gun to the power craft. She built a bigger one of her own as her throttle was open, and she picked up speed that made our pace look like that of a canal scow. I didn't have time for any kind of caution. When we covered half the distance of the pass, I swung toward the island, blind to the reefs or channels or depths, knowing only that I needed that swing to make the narrow lane between the reef and the trip cord that would blow the booby trap in the wreck. By the time I'd made the turn and straightened out for the run, the powerboat had closed to within less than 100 yards of us. And the men aboard her opened up to stop us with every means they had. Take cover, men! Get down in the deck! Come out to the cockpit, Brent! Stand by to take the wheel in case I catch one of these things! Come on, come on! I crouched as low as I could and watched the series of bullet holes appear in the deck in front of me. And felt the splinters as another burst caught the mizzen boom above me. Can we do it, Skipper? I'll know in a minute, Red. We got 25 yards to go. They got about 60. You're awful close to the reef, Skipper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The reef, Captain! They're going to break the reef! I eased a scant foot or two towards the line in the middle of the channel. By the time our bow slid by the raging coral, the powerboat was no more than 25 yards astern. Her range was point blank now, but that wasn't what I was worried about. Straight out to the path felt the first ocean swell lift our bow. Our stern swung to port in the cart, and I fought it back with hard helm. Then I just hung on and hoped because there was nothing else to do. Kill the motor. We made it, Red. Well, don't just stand there with your mouth open. Hmm? Oh, uh, I, I, sir, I, I, stand by to make sail. The crewmen took a while to pull their eyes away from the mangled wreck that the sleek power yacht had suddenly turned into. Her superstructure was torn to bits. She was afire and settling by the stern in the reef passage. Then they stumbled to their stations. Stop it, chief! Make sail! The mainsail climbed into the smoke-dulled sky. The jibs. Then the mizzen. And the Scarlet Queen, as though feeling the success herself, and the lifting of strain and tension, kneeled in thanks to her own gods. And leaned before the winds they sent her in answer to her prayer. It's aboard, Skipper. It's aboard, and we're out of there. It's aboard, Red. Well, you don't sound too happy about it. Happy? Red, I don't even believe it. Yeah, I kind of know what you mean, Skipper. After what's led up to it, it don't seem right just to pick it up like some bales of rubber or some sacks of rice and put it in a hole. Yeah, that's about it. But poor Sam Brennan can have his island. We're out of there. Yeah, that's a little hard to believe, too. But assuming that we are, where are we back? Back to Hong Kong to sign over the stuff we don't believe to Kang. Uh, a city, Skipper. Yeah. We've earned a celebration. And I can't think of a better place than Hong Kong. I don't see any reason for waiting till we get there, if you know what I mean. I think I do. You do know you're psychic. After you, mate. After you. Log entry. The Catch Scarlet Queen. Miles traveled from San Francisco, 21,308. Wind brisk, sky fair. 
carrying full sail. Ship secure for night. Signed, Philip Carney. Master. of the Scarlet Queen stars Elliot Lewis as Phil Carney with Ed Max as Gallagher. And tonight featured Bill Johnstone as Sam and William Conrad as Nielsen. Music scored and conducted by Richard O'Rod. The Scarlet Queen, a command radio production directed by James Burton, is written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tallman. This program came to you from Hollywood. And that's this week's Mutual Presents feature. The Mutual Audio Network brings the best of old-time radio and modern audio theater to the world. Be sure to subscribe through the Mutual Audio Network podcast feed, any of our podcast days, or the Mutual YouTube channel, which includes MadCon and many other extra features and shows. See you all next time at Mutual Presents. Good night. Now, you seem to me to be a connoisseur of the best of radio drama. In which case, make sure you're subscribed to the Monday Matinee Feed. There we have our weekly series of dramatic, theatrical, classic, eclectic, and live radio drama. So, yeah, either the main Mutual Audio Network feed for all types and genres of audio drama, or the Monday Matinee. And we'll see you there. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.